chapter 9, as we continue our adventures in the Gospel of Mark. What I want to do this morning is piece together and sow a message between Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, the sequence of events here that take place. We're going to begin hearing, as far as Mark's concerned, some of the teaching ministry of Jesus. So far, all the way through uh, half of the book of Mark, we've really not gotten into his teaching message, but more of the presentation and demonstration of the kingdom of God coming with power, kingdom over sickness, power over disease, and over demonic forces and cleansing lepers and speaking who the Son of Man is and revealing who the Son of Man is and will be forever. And uh, so we come now into the part of his portion of his teaching. You remember that the book of Mark is a, is a training manual for all who will follow Jesus. It's a discipleship manual. And uh, now we're going to get some of the teaching that's essential for being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. So please turn to Mark chapter 9. We start at verse 33 where we left off and it says this, And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So you've got to picture the scene here. They're walking together. This is after the Mount of Transfiguration and after the uh, wrestling uh, with casting out the demon from this young boy where the disciples couldn't do it. Jesus had to do it. And uh, then he told them that this kind takes great prayer and fasting. He then reminds them that the Son of God must die and be buried and resurrected on the third day. None of them got it. They didn't understand it. So he then they go traveling again from, to the next town. And as they're doing this, the twelve apostles or disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are arguing amongst themselves. Now this, this is funny no other way. I mean, Peter's saying, you know what? I'm the best. I'm better than all of you guys. I think I should have more authority and power. I'm the one, by the way, who said that he's Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came. And Jesus told me, I got that revelation from the Father. Obviously, I need to lead all you fellas. James and John said, hey, what about us? I think we should be the ones. Andrew says, well, I'm your brother, so maybe I should be part of this crowd too. And maybe it was Peter, James, and John that said, yeah, well, the three of us went to the top of the mountain. We're the ones he asked to go to the party, and you weren't. And you guys couldn't cast out a demon. We're greater than you are. This is the team that Jesus is going to hand off the kingdom of God to. I'm better than you are. Now, of course, this does not happen in the church today. You don't have people sizing each other up thinking, I've got this gift, they don't. 
I'm smarter than that guy. Why'd they ask him to lead that ministry? I show up more often than the rest of them. I'm here doing all that I should. I should be next in line for this and that. And so Jesus says, what were you guys talking about? He knew what they were talking about. He was going to use this as a teaching opportunity. <laughs> Cracks me up. Now, he, he does something pretty amazing. In the midst of his teaching, he brings a child in. Now, children in that culture were considered simply the property of fathers. Uh, they weren't to be seen nor heard until they had reached a particular age. Interesting also is that three out of ten Jewish children died before the age of 18. Three out of ten. The average age that people lived was 40 to 45. Some made it past that. But he brings a child into the group. And, and he, he says that if you receive this child, you'll receive me. Now, what God is going to begin doing in these disciples is teaching them servanthood, humility, and so Jesus takes a child. Now a child has to be trusting to come and sit on a lap, to sit and be in the middle of a discussion with grown men. In that culture, usually it's like, hey kids, get out of here. In fact, turn over to Mark 10, verse 13, and read how the disciples typically treated children. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. That's the day after he had taken a child, brought him on his lap, and said, if you receive a child, you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive the Father. These guys are dull. He just gives an illustration and teaches about the little kid. Isn't he cute? You want to be the greatest? You need to be like this kid. And the next day, people are bringing kids. And they said, get these kids out of here. Our master's too important for this. What the heck's going on here with these guys? So he's trying to teach them a sense of humility, a sense of childlike faith, to care and to trust in God like a child would. Do not hinder these children to come unto me. Later on, he'll tell us how terrible a sin it is to offend or bring sin upon a little one or a child or an innocent one. He's focusing on children and the contrast between that and adults who have no humility. You want to be the greatest? You need to be the servant of all. You need to consider yourself the least. Now, that's hard in America because every New York Times top seller is how you can be the best, the top at your game. You're number one. You're the most important. It's all about you. I did it my way. It's all about us. Have a positive attitude that you're the best in the room. No, Jesus is the best in this room. And if you want to know that you want to have a reputation to follow Jesus, you need to be the one who serves the most in the room. James, 
And, and, in fact, the parable, Jesus said, don't be the one who sits up front at a wedding feast or at a special banquet. Sit in the back till you're invited to come up front. People always clamoring for the best seat in the house, the best job, the best this, the best that. So these guys are saying, we want the best. We want to be the most important. But they got caught. They got caught, so they didn't say anything because they argued who was the greatest. And he sat them down and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and serve all. Could I encourage you that in your daily routine, you know, that when it's time for people to be served, you step to the back of the line? There's a great power in humility. There's a great sense of serving others. Jesus would want you last. If there's just enough food to go out, you take yours last. Women know this as hosts in the home. Women cook the food. They set it out. And typically, the the, the woman who set the thing all out enjoys seeing everybody else get in line and get you some. Now, it might be that she just wants to be a good host or that she's full from tasting it all while she was cooking it. I, I don't know. But it's all about the attitude, isn't it? Jesus pulled that child on his lap and he said, you know, you need to act like this instead of the way you guys are acting. Come on now. We go on and and then John pipes up and he says this in verse 38 of chapter 9. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. And Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So now they want to be exclusive. They, they, they want to be the greatest, who's the best of all of us. Then they want to be exclusive. I want to be the top dog in this group, and also, we're the group. We're the church. Man, there's no other church like Christ Community Church. We're the best church. We're the best church in Roseville. We're the best church in East Point. We're the best church in Southeast Michigan. We're the best. Nobody's like we are. That sounds like a Jesus attitude, doesn't it? (laughs) He says, come on, stop rebuking. Don't don't let those people... You you know, there's a a story about... um, uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon in London, he uh, was an amazing, tremendous pastor, speaker, orator, and uh, his church grew to over 10,000. I mean, it was huge, and uh, it kept growing, and there was a church right across the street from his. How'd you like to be that pastor? And this guy really fought with envy. He really did. He had a problem with envy. And he would see all the people arrive in their coaches and walking in and, and coming in to hear the great prince of the pulpit. Ooh, Charles Spurgeon. Ooh. And then the faithful ten would come to this guy's pulpit. And he'd do his best to preach. Till one day God convicted him. He said, oh, Father, forgive me. He recognized that he needed to be faithful to the flock that God gave him whether it was 10, 20, whatever. Just be a faithful shepherd to your flock. And the Lord told him to begin praying for Spurgeon. Praying for him. He don't need my prayers. He's got everything. 
you know, that, that kind of a church, they can have this, they can do that, they got the finance, they got this, this guy's scrimping to get by. He said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. He began to pray every day for Charles Spurgeon, for his ministry to increase, his church to increase. And then guess what happened? His church grew to such a place that the overflow was so great that when people came and couldn't get in to hear Spurgeon, they went across the street to the, this man's church and started filling his. Spurgeon's overflow became his congregation. And he began to minister and his church began to grow because he had prayed for the other man. James and John were known as sons of thunder. That was their nickname before they got dramatically changed by a resurrected Jesus. And so these sons of thunders, you remember this? They went to Samaria and they, weren't accept, they, they wanted to send lightning bolts. Kill them all! Send a lightning bolt down. Kill them! Now they find another guy. They're looking at, hey, he's, he's following Jesus. He's declaring Jesus. He can't do that. We spent our lives following Jesus. Jesus, get him! He says, back off, Jack. Listen, guys, you're not exclusive to the club here. As a matter of fact, we've got a plan here to reach the whole world. Same with us. We need to pray for the other works in this community and what God's doing in all the other churches and, and, and doing in your brothers and sisters at work. Right? You pray, hey, could it be possible we could pray that God would use Methodists, Catholics, Baptists? Huh? Could he do that? Presbyterians? Even Presbyterians? Yeah. God, use them all. Multiply your kingdom work. Amen? That's what he wants us to do. He says, if you give someone a cup of cold water, your reward will be there for you. You will not lose your reward. That's amazing to me because you know what? Everybody can afford a cup of water. Water, isn't it funny? You might, well, I don't know if I'm going to buy you a cappuccino, but I could give you a cup of water. We may not have the finance for nice drinks, this and that, but in every culture and in every land, you know what the basic element of life is? A cup of water. And he says, bring them a cup of cold water. Refresh the people. There's a reward. Now, wait a minute. Come on now. Look at the comparisons. He's saying, you want to be the greatest, I'm showing you a little kid. You see the contrast? A little kid has no rights. A little kid is looked over in our culture. A little kid is nothing. That's what I want you to be. And he said, I want you to know that there are rewards in heaven. There are rewards being stored up in heaven because you gave someone a glass of water. That's the most basic element of blessing someone. Do you see the contrast he's introducing here? You want to be president? I'm telling you to be a child. This guy's casting out demons. You want him to stop? I'm telling you, if you give someone a cup of water, I'll reward you. These are the contrasts of the kingdom. Some of you think, I've got nothing to offer God. I'll get up into heaven, and there'll be Paul, and there'll be the wood, hay, and stubble, the gold, silver, precious stones, and, and people will have these amazing things that go through the fire to present God. I'll get there, and there'll be nothing. Let me ask you this. How many cups of cold water did you get? You see, the measuring system of the kingdom is different than the measuring system of the world. Do you understand that? There are many of you who say, I'm just a housewife. There, I haven't had ministry. Some of you say, I'm just the guy that works at 7-Eleven. There's nothing much for me to do. 
But it was the way you treated a customer. You gave him a cup of cold water when you spent extra time with him. It was the lady you held the door for. God is rewarding his people for all of that. You know, you can be preaching to thousands. You can be preaching to tens of thousands, having church buildings and and ministries named after you, but a wrong heart. But you can be unidentifiable to mankind and everybody else, but to the kingdom he watches every cup of cold water you give to somebody. It's a different measuring system there. And we're going to get there, and many will have reward to offer to Christ in praise to him. It's a comparison and contrasts. It's amazing if you have a cup of cold water. Now, turn to Mark 10, verse 35. Here Jesus rebukes him, says, be like a child. Don't look for titles. Don't look for authorities. And then look what happens even just a little, a little bit later in Matthew 10, verse 35. It says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you to. Oh, you've obviously been half listening when I said you could ask for anything in my name and receive it. Yeah, well, we want you to do whatever we ask you. And he said, okay, (laughs) Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Well, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left hand when you come in glory. We want to be like Moses and Elijah. Put us in that position. When you come in the kingdom, we want to sit on the right and left hand of your glory. Wow. Didn't we just get through a speech like yesterday? Be like this little child? Well, yeah, we're humbly asking. We want to be your right and left hand man. This isn't far-fetched. Jesus is so patient, isn't he? So Jesus asked them a question. These goofy guys. You do not know what you are asking. Are you going to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. We'll drink that cup and we'll be baptized with that. He said, you don't even know what you're asking. I've told you now three times, the book of Mark has shown us, that the Son of Man has to die and be buried and raised from the dead on the third day. You sure you want to follow after this? Oh yeah, we can do that too. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. Oh, now we got a fight again among the disciples. Oh, see, here they go again. We had this argument the other day. I'm the best, you're the best. Oh, James and John's the best. Now you had the gall after he told us to be like little children to go and ask if you could sit on the right and left hand. What's wrong with you guys? This is the unity of the church. Why not? Well, well, I'm figuring this. I'm figuring James and John pulled the relative card. The cousins. Did you know that most Bible scholars believe that James and John are, in fact, were cousins of Jesus? Let me help you see and understand this. In the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them tell us that there were four women at the cross when Jesus died. Four women at the cross with John 
the apostle. Who are the four women at the cross? Well, when you put it together and you look up Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, you will find the four women listed in different manners. Now, first of all, there at the foot of the cross, you'll see Mary, the mother of Jesus. John tells us that uh, his mother was at the cross. So that we've got one there. We already knew that Mary was the the mother of Jesus. So the mother of Jesus is there. We also know that Mary Magdalene was there uh, by name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John tell us that Mary Magdalene was there. So we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus cast out seven demons and followed Jesus and was there as well. Now we have two women left as to who they were. And so uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that uh, in Matthew and Mark, it says, Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph. And John tells us that that Mary is the wife of Clopas. So we now identify the third Mary. She's the mother of James the Less and uh, the, the, the wife of Clopas. And another name for Clopas is Alpheus. How many of you know that one of the other disciples, of the t- one of the other apostles was named James the son of Alpheus? So that James is actually a cousin of Jesus as well. So now you have John the Baptist, who's a second cousin of Jesus, right? Because Elizabeth was Mary's aunt. And now you have, as part of the apostles, you have James, one of Jesus' cousins. And his aunt Mary was there as well. And then you have, uh, well, Mary was married to Clophus, who was the brother of Joseph, And now the last Mary you have, Salome. And Mark tells us her name. Matthew tells us that she's the mother of Zebedee's sons. And John tells us he's Jesus' mother's sister. So through this you piece together and realize that James and John, the sons of thunder, were actually Jesus' cousins. Mary, uh, uh, Salome, is Mother Mary's sister. And her two kids, James and John, were cousins to Jesus. So they probably thought, come on, cuz. It makes sense now as to why John the Apostle was there at the foot of the cross. He was there with his mother. As they were caring for John caring for his aunt. It also makes sense that at the Last Supper that John, the beloved, had his head on the chest of Jesus. He's his younger cousin. And that's not unusual to have that kind of affection in a family. And it also makes sense as to when Jesus looked from the cross and saw the Apostle John and his own mother and he said, Woman, here is your son, Son, here is your mother. He was asking his cousin John, who is the nephew of Mary, to now take care of her. And it all makes sense. And so what you have here is Jesus working with some family members. And so they're probably thinking, hey, we're cousins. So when you enter into the kingdom, give us a job. We want to sit at the right and the left. Now Luke tells us that it wasn't James and John who asked this, but it was Salome, their mother. Luke says the mom came up. So I'm imagining it's something like this. 
I imagine that a lot of times in the gospel accounts, these are not contradictions, but they're stories being told from different vantage points. And so what probably took place is Salome come up to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you consider my sons? And the sons stepped forward at this. What do you guys want? Hey, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Yeah, what do you want me to do? Uh, make us sit at your right and left hand. And again, he says, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking of me. So then he goes on and he says this. After now, the other disciples hear this conversation, they get royally ticked at him, and Jesus called them to him and he said, look at all you guys, come here, come here, i got to keep teaching this. You know that those who are considered ruler of the Gentiles lord it over them. This is Mark 10, 42. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mm-mm-mm. Again, the sense of humility. Do you see the same message being brought over and over to them? They want authority and power. Now that they see the authority and power of Jesus, they want those positions. Jesus says, look it, you got to be like a little kid. You receive a kid, now you have my heart, my attitude, you receive me. And Father's heart. Because Jesus is the Son of the Father who was given. He said, if you receive a child, don't turn the children away. So the next day, what do they do? Turn the children away. And then argue about who's going to sit at the right and left hand. He says, oh my goodness, listen you guys. Can you drink this cup that I'm going to drink? Oh yeah, sure we can do it. Ah, Look at, don't turn the children away. The children are how you need to be in attitude. And then he goes on, he says, look at, if you want to be great, the Gentiles, the nations in the world, they fight a dog-eat-dog world to get a title and to get ahead. It's not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, I need you to be humble. I need you to be a slave. That's how Paul always introduced himself, by the way, when he would write his epistles. Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus. That's a nice reference in Greek for doulos, which means a slave. Paul considered himself first a slave to his master, Jesus Christ. And so we're to be slaves to all. We're to serve all. Do you know a good way to remember agape love? Agape is the love of Christ. Agape is a self-sacrificing love. He asks us to love all people with an agape love. And the best way to remember agape, A-G-A-P-E, it's the Greek rendering for a sacrificial love, is always give all people everything. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I only got two bucks left. I was using that for my milkshake. Always give all people everything. Isn't this what Jesus is saying? You want to be great in the kingdom? Give it away. Give it all away. Wherever you go and someone's in need, you're my answer. Jesus looks to you to be the cup of cold water. He looks to you to be the simplest supplier of the simplest thing to people. Give them what they need. This is the kingdom of God. 
And so he asks these two who want to sit at the right and left hand. He said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to drink? Let me ask you this. What cup was Jesus going to drink? He had been trying to tell them this. He had been trying to teach them this. They didn't get it. They didn't even get it when it happened. Do you know what cup Jesus is going to drink? You want to come with me to glory? Well, you got to go through the cross. Can you drink the cup? You know what cup Jesus is going to drink? It's right there. I gave you the answer. It's the cup of God's wrath. Do you remember what Jesus said in the garden? Twice he prayed to the Father, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. What was it? He didn't want to be crucified. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be scourged. He didn't want to be made fun of. Was that the cup? Do you know what the cup that Jesus was troubled over? Jesus was sweating blood over? Jesus was in anguish over? That His Father who loved Him in perfection and He was obedient and loved Him in perfection. He didn't want to receive Father's wrath against sin. But not my will be done. Thy will. It's not that He didn't want to go to the cross. He was perfect in obedience. It was not that He didn't want to die. It was that His true love affection was going to be suspended while the wrath of God's judgment came upon Jesus. Jesus finally says in John 18 to Peter after He cuts with a sword, Shall I not drink the cup which My Father has given Me? Do you understand the cup of wrath? That Jesus, while He was hanging on that cross, the sun darkened and it became as night. And He cries out of His soul, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And at that point, God's holy wrath against sin was poured out upon the man Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the object of God's wrath. And God poured out His complete and final wrath against sin on Jesus Christ. And He asked James and John, can you drink that? He was baptized with a baptism of suffering. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, none of us here have even been Uh, persecuted to such a place as with blood. I know some of you have been through some difficult things and some trying things. But none of us have been baptized the way Jesus was in the wrath of God. None of us understand the level of suffering under the wrath of God. None of us have, and thank be to God, because of Jesus Christ, none of us ever will come on get a hold of that right now get a hold of that can you thank god right now that you will never drink that cup of wrath because he drank it for you now james and john he turned to them he asked them could you drink this cup could you be baptized the way i am no they can't but he does say yes you will because the cup of wrath that they're going to drink is the wrath of man every one of those apostles was murdered and killed Every one of them 
gave their life as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ. They drank the cup of wrath. They were baptized in the wrath of man, but not God. There's a far cry between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. It is appointed unto us once to die. Jesus promised his followers this promise. You shall have tribulation with you always. He said that you will overcome the devil by the blood of a lamb, the word of your testimony, and that you will not shrink back from death by loving your life. Every one of us should be willing to drink the cup of man's wrath. I'm telling you, if we would get to this place to understand that we'll not drink the cup of God's wrath, but we may have to drink the cup of man's wrath, this church would be unstoppable. But we're all wimps. I'm putting it out there. We're all wimps. They may not like us. They might say things about us. When you understand the cup that Jesus drank, we should gladly be willing to taste the cup of wrath of man because we'll never taste the wrath of God. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. In fact, it's so serious that Jesus says in Mark 9 when he's talking about this, and he's talking about how we're to be towards the little children talks about the cup of cold water he talks about the cup of wrath and in 942 he says whoever causes one of these little children who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea and if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame with, uh, instead of having two feet thrown in hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm never dies, nor the fire is ever quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Stringing these messages together and all that's being said in 9 and 10 is this. Be the least. Serve a cup of cold water. Don't think you have to be the greatest. But get along. Love one another. Treat one another. Care for the children. Be like a child with me. Have childlike faith. Give a cup of cold water. And will you drink the cup of wrath? Yes. And he says this, look it. And he uses a hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggerated language. It's an exaggeration for you to understand what he's trying to say. He says this, if you cause one of these little ones who believe in me now what he's doing is wrapping it all up and I think he's speaking to the larger crowd around them. If you're going to take out one of my followers, it'd be better if you had a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown into the sea. Don't touch the children of God. And there's a lot of judgment that will be had for those who are killing Christians and those who are taking them out. And then he talks to uh, the, the believers and those who will come to Christ. He said, it's better for you if your hands causes you to sin. Cut it off. 
It's better to enter into eternal life in the kingdom of God with one hand than to have two and be in hell. He then goes and uses the hyperbole about the eye. Pluck your eye out. If you're using it for sinful things, take it out. Now again, that's hyperbole. He's not literally telling you to cut off your hands. All of us would be coming to... We couldn't drive. (laughs) We couldn't get here. How are you doing today? We do a high five. (laughs) Pass the the plate and it keep falling. We'd be bumping into each other. We couldn't see. His point is this. There is a hell. And his point is this. Everyone will be salted with fire. You remember John the Baptist said, I come to baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There is a fire baptism for everyone. For the believer, it is a salting of fire. It is a, it is a, a, a salting of refining fire. Jesus will put you through refining fire. What's interesting about salt is every sacrifice had salt. And what the the priests would do when an animal was offered for sacrifice, they would pack salt around that animal. Do you know why? Because salt would absorb all the blood that was shed out of that animal. And the salt would absorb the blood. Listen, we're the salt of the earth. We're to have taken the blood of Jesus into our lives we're the salting of that sacrifice salt was also the symbol of grace at every sacrifice showing grace you're the cup of cold water you're the salt you're the one who takes the cup of man's wrath because you're giving a cup of cold water to a dying world But woe be to those who do not accept Jesus Christ, for they shall suffer and they will be salted with fire. They will live in the eternal fires of damnation and hell. Does this sound serious to you? So I close with this. This is how serious a matter this is. When he says, you're to be the least among your people, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. When he says that you must be as a child and you must be willing, give a cup of cold water to all. Don't keep anyone from coming into the kingdom. Don't be exclusive. Well, I don't know if Jesus would accept you. Your sin's pretty bad. Does the church have room for the homosexual? Does the church have room for the pedophile? Does the church have room for murderers? Does the church have room for adulterers? Does the church have room for thieves and liars? Paul says, and that's what some of you were, but you've been justified, sanctified, washed in his blood. Who are we to be exclusive from anybody else? Bring a cup of cold water to whosoever will, to anyone in need. It's time for the church to get ready to drink the cup of man's wrath so that they would bring a cup of cold water to a dying world so that some may be saved. And to have the fear and trembling that all others will be lost. Do you carry the weight of knowledge that everyone who has not accepted Christ will burn in hell eternally? Do we carry this message? This is a message of humility. How could I boast over what I have when I need to reach someone else with this free gift? I hope that 
this message has put things in perspective, eternal perspective, and that we will get to work. Let's bow our heads. Stand with me.